0: Welcome to Airspace from the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum.
1: I'm Emily. I'm Matt. And I'm Nick. On October fourth, 1957, the Soviet Union successfully launched the first artificial Earth satellite, Sputnik, In the weeks to follow, people all around the world could look up and see its light track across the sky.
2: Sputnik was the first major milestone in the space race that was so easily visible to so many people. And it unsettled a lot of folks because this was the height of the Cold War, but it also inspired people and brought more scientists into space and rocketry.
0: One of those people was Homer Hickam, a high schooler in a small West Virginia mining town who would go on to work for NASA, write a memoir, and inspire a movie. Today, we're watching that movie. It's October Sky on Airspace, presented by Olay.
2: The first thing that we uh, we can talk about is how we landed on this film. Uh, some of our colleagues suggested that this is very commonly uh, screened in schools and that it was kind of like a universal experience seeing this movie in school and uh, It turns out that none of us had seen it prior to this, Um, and we had a a fun little conversation about all of the peak 90s moments that we were doing instead of seeing October Sky when it came out in 1999.
0: But since our producers all experienced watching this movie in high school, uh, it inspired our choice for October Sky for this episode and we were excited to get to do another movie mini I think it's one of our favorite kind of episodes to do and maybe even a little bit more fun since none of the hosts have an advantage here because none of us have none of us have seen it
1: yeah and you know this this movie was kind of an interesting late 90s time capsule of like how spaceflight and space careers are presented in, in film, because I think this movie scores pretty low on the scale of, of you know presenting an inclusive vision <laughs> of, of what spaceflight and rocket engineering look like. It's all about, as the title of the original book uh, implies, rocket boys. And all of the boys that are part of this little rocket group are white, living in West Virginia, you know, they they don't really have a lot of diversity around them in this town. And I understand that's part of the historical reality of the main character's life growing up. But in fact, as Rocket Girls and then Hidden Figures have shown us, it was a very much more diverse group of people who went to work to make spaceflight happen in the United States.
2: Yeah, I think we can break this down uh, like three ways. So we can break this down as a space movie, and we'll do that in a second. Um, We can understand it as a 90s film of the 1950s, right down to – I think it's required by the Motion Picture Association that you have uh, the song Speedo by the Cadillacs play in your movie if it takes place in the 1950s. That's the only way to demonstrate. Um, And it's also just – this ham sandwich of family feel-goodery and earnest, dare I say, pious celebration of American stick-to-itiveness.
0: But before we launch into that, maybe we should do a quick rundown slash synopsis of the movie, because if the three of us had never seen this movie, I do wonder how many of our listeners have seen October Sky, especially now that Jake Gyllenhaal is a bit of an outcast because you don't cross teeth.
2: Yes, true. So, all right, this, this movie stars a 17-year-old pre-villain in a Taylor Swift album, Jake Gyllenhaal.
1: Wait, is Jake, the, um, does he have Taylor's sweater? Is that who we're scarf. talking about?
2: The scarf. 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 His, Sorry, his scarf. sister, allegedly, if you listen to the song. Left
1: my scarf
2: there at your sister's house and you. So Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal allegedly has the scarf in a uh, dresser at her house. And if anyone out there is listening, Maggie, we would love to collect that at the Smithsonian. Just send it <laughs> our way. So Rocket, Rocket yeah. Boys. Rocket Boys was the name of the book. Homer Hickam, the engineer at the, in the center of this story, uh, wrote the memoir Rocket Boys. It came out in 1998. Um, the 1999 film October Sky is based on that book. It's set in the mid to late 1950s in a small coal mining town in West Virginia called Coalwood. A little bit on the nose. On the nose might as well be the subtitle of this movie.
1: Yeah. And when we say coal mining town, we mean like a town that is pretty literally owned by the people who the mine. it's a company town. And that when the mine finally does shut down, the town is sold and liquidated, right? This isn't just a town that mines coal. It's a town that belongs to the coal mine.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a company town and Homer is inspired to learn rocketry after the launch of Sputnik. He sees it in the sky and he's really inspired and he decides I'm going to build rockets. He enlists the help of the school's nerd, Quentin and drags along his two friends, Odell and Roy Lee, to build and test all of these rockets. The boys get in trouble, they go through some trials, they've got some tests, and they go through many rockets with the goal of entering the National Science Fair. They see it as a way to possibly get out of Colwood and stay out of the mines. The common wisdom around the town is that the only two options when you graduate high school are— football scholarship to college, or you go into the mines. The only two things that happen. So, they're trying to find a third way. Say hello to Fred Smith from the University of West Virginia. Hello, Homer.
1: Mr. Smith wants Jim to play football there. He's offering him a full scholarship.
0: Oh, well, congratulations, Jim. You play ball, son? Uh, Homer shoots off rockets, you know, all
2: that. Well. Rocks aren't exactly my field, son. Maybe if you work hard enough, you get to go to
0: college, too. Yeah, on a science fiction scholarship, maybe. Jim. And if you've never seen October Sky, but you've seen the movie Rudy, this movie is Rudy, but instead of steel mills and football, it's coal mines and rockets. So if you haven't seen October Sky, but you've seen Rudy, you've seen October Sky. Just want to put that out there.
1: I was thinking something really similar when I was watching the movie. I was kind of thinking you could take any movie that you've ever seen about like a dying industrial town (laughs) and a boy who's trying to escape that town. And, you know, you can kind of place this story into that movie aside from one thing, which I thought was a really interesting touch, but again, kind of, uh, rubbed me a little the wrong way was sort of the uncritical fan mail correspondence that's going on between the boy and Werner von Braun, um, who just like every movie ever made about space, they pronounce his name Werner von Braun, even though it was always Werner von Braun, right? So, whatever.
2: Yeah, so Werner von Braun was a Nazi, and then later a rocket scientist in the United States, and he was pretty famous. So it's not unrealistic that a kid in the 1950s would know von Braun's name. In the movie, uh, von Braun is kind of like portrayed as like a matinee star, and Homer idolizes von Braun and writes letters to him.
1: Dear Doctor von Braun, Six, my name is five, Homer Hickam. Four, I'm 17, three, and I live in a small mining two, town in West Virginia. One. Ignition. Lift off. Lift I'm writing to offer my condolences to you and
0: your team on your recent attempt to launch the Vanguard
1: rocket.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's very uh, it's very soft lighting on a very complicated figure.
0: Something that I thought was a missed opportunity in the writing of October Sky or it was an intentional omission by the screenwriters. There was never a conversation about how rocketry was gonna be really important for defense capabilities and shooting off missiles. Nobody talked about putting humans into space. Nobody talked about, there's one quick mention of um, maybe Sputnik's taking pictures as like a spy satellite, but there's no concept reflected from the people of Coldwood. That there's anything to Sputnik other than the Russians beat us in doing this thing that doesn't totally matter and has no effect on us. And so the idea of rockets was an idea of novelty.
1: This is where like I I really feel like the movie did have a blind spot, which is that people were very aware of the V two and how it was used in World War II. They knew about it, but they also, you know, would have been reading magazines and newspaper stories about these different developments, even though there hadn't yet been a satellite. There had been a lot of work on rockets going on and Walt Disney specials on television about what we were going to be able to gain from from rockets and space exploration. So, you know, the fact that this town seems to just be hearing about this for the first time seems a little implausible to me.
2: Yeah, and it's 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 rural, but it's a company town. Like, they're plugged in. Like, they understand, like, world affairs and the economy. So I agree, and it's kind of cartoonish, the way the movie plays it, that, like, the kids are all super uninspired by space, and there's the one nerd. Uh, and he's just such a caricature of a nerd. He actually says, what you fail to grasp when they're like, eh, space, who cares? <laughs> the closest this movie comes to awareness for the scientists and defense implications of space uh, are Emily, like you said, the guy that says Sputnik's going to take pictures of all of our missile silos. And they play it almost like a line intended to show what this guy doesn't know about Sputnik. But like he's the only person that actually understands what satellites are going to be doing.
0: Yeah. And I and I also wonder if it's an unfair portrayal of a small rural mining town and making a commentary on, well, they couldn't possibly know the implications of all of this because they're so isolated and closed off and they couldn't possibly understand. And I don't want to project too much on what filmmakers were thinking about um, in trying to tell a great underdog story. But at the same time, I, I worry that that's sort of this undercurrent that we see throughout the movie and sort of dealing with the caricatures of what a miner is like and how they handle life and all that kind of stuff is a whole other thing that we do not have time to unpack in a mini episode about a movie we watched, but it's there and you should be aware of it when you're watching the movie.
1: And it it feels a little bit like like punching down, right? Because at the end of the day, we know who won, right? We know that that mining town died. We know that a lot of towns like it did and that you know, folks like Homer Hickam who were able to, you know, master uh, rocket engineering and go to college and uh, that they succeeded. Right. It's 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 uh, kind of a, you know, an imbalance of power in a way, even if it at the time was like really difficult for him to break out of that town. At the end of the day, he's the one who survived. <laughs> right. So the people of
0: Colwood definitely would have known more about the space race than they seem to know in the movie. And most of them probably would have understood some of the importance. And leaving that knowledge out and just the way the townsfolk are portrayed really makes the movie feel like it's punching down at how the people of Colwood live.
2: Yeah, the the real town that Homer Hickam grew up in no longer exists. That's true. And, uh, like, the last shot of the movie is the space shuttle. That's when Homer Hickam went to go work for NASA. So, like, you've got the mining town dying. You've got space shuttles launching. Like, the dichotomy is absolutely apt. You're right, Matt. It, it feels like the movie is almost like trying to punch down on this way of life. Like the, the movie as written really demonstrates that this isn't what you want out of life even if that was what some of these people wanted out of life. Yeah.
1: So one of the things that I did think was really cool about this movie was the way that it showed the sort of process of of tinkering with the rockets, building bigger rockets, trying to get the rockets to do what they were meant to do, fly straight up into the air and not just fly off in chaotic patterns or explode while they were in the air. And it really resonated with things that I've heard from. Other scientists who grew up in this era, which was like all of these science clubs, rocket clubs, et cetera, were being formed in high schools and and, you know, kids were really getting into rockets and um using them as a way of learning different sort of approaches to the scientific method or to engineering and and figuring out how to make things work.
0: But I think that to me, sort of also links up to how rockets inspire folks to create rocketry programs as ways of getting kids into science and um, engineering. Because even though rockets were like this newfangled thing in the 50s, model rocket clubs and getting kids involved in rocketry, even on a really small scale, is used in the exact same way. We haven't changed anything. And it takes place at a lot of different levels, right? You have the science fair projects, scouting projects, space camp. We've even talked about space camp. Model rockets are an avenue through which to get people excited about big science.
1: And I mean, I know that it stretches back much further than this, but when I was a kid, like in the 1980s in grade school, you could go into a hobby shop and you could buy model rocket kits. What we're talking about back in the 1950s, those kits weren't really that available. Everything had to be made for a purpose, by hand, and you kind of had to Learn as you go, because it's not like, well, you certainly couldn't look up on the internet how to solve different problems. If you didn't have the, the books in your local library, you kind of had to figure this stuff out on your own or with an adult science teacher maybe helping you.
0: So big spoiler, if you haven't seen this movie um, and you don't want to hear the ending, you probably should have stopped listening to the episode a while ago, but you've had kind of a few years to catch up. So we're going to spoil the ending for you, which is that eventually these four boys make it into the National Science Fair and they actually take first place. And that gives them the opportunity to get in front of a bunch of folks who offered them scholarships. And they actually get an opportunity to leave Colwood and pursue careers outside of mining But I think what's really important to note is that the end of the movie says that Homer sort of achieves his dream of going and working for NASA, which is true. But before he goes to NASA, sort of right after college, he serves in the Army in Vietnam and then works for U.S. Army Missile Command before he starts working for NASA in 1981. And after he left NASA, that's when he went to go on and write this book that inspired the movie.
1: Airspace is from the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. It's produced by Katie Moyer and Jennifer Weingart, mixed by Tarek Fuda. Did you know that Airspace has a monthly newsletter? You can sign up through the link in the show notes and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at AirspacePod. Airspace is presented by Olay and distributed by PRX.
2: I give it 10% credit back for having given us the marvelous line the Russians can keep outer space because we've got rock and roll. Let them have outer space. We
1: got rock and roll. Yeah.